0: So last week, when Austin and I presented to our staff that we wanted to do this, actually that we were going to do this, (laughs) I was told by our staff that the reason I was so excited about it was that my love language is uncomfortable. Maybe? Maybe so. I want you to turn to uh, Mark chapter fourteen, and I, I double check to make sure that that's the right <laughs> <clears throat> right place. Mark fourteen, I'm going to begin at verse three. Actually, yeah, I'm going to begin at verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon, excuse me, the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor, you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. You you have visited us today uh, you have moved through this room you have spoken into our hearts you, you have touched things that are broken and put them back together you have continued healing processes that you have started that we know you are faithful to finish and we pray that now as we, as we look at your word And we look at your life, we ask that you would speak to us from it. Give us ears to hear, Lord, what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're moving towards Easter. Uh, This is uh, the season of the year we call Lent. And uh, Lent is a time of, of reflection, it's a time where we wait. It's a time where we hope. It's a time where we believe and expect. Uh, it's, it's a truly rich time where that the Lord will use in your life if you pay attention to it. Uh, there are things that He wants to say, things that He wants to do. Uh, last week, thanks. Last week we talked about uh, one of the statistics that that we threw out. Uh, I think it was last week. Um, is that 47% of people who don't go to church say that if they were invited by someone, a friend or a family member, someone who was significant in their life, that they would strongly consider coming. 47%. So um, that's almost half for, for those of you who are Auburn or Alabama grads. Um, just kidding. <clears throat> no, you understand. So that's almost half. I mean, that's a big percentage. That's a big percentage, right? Um, So why why don't we invite people? I want to say to you, okay, I want to say clearly that if you pray between now and Easter and you ask the Lord, not just if, but who, if you ask the Lord, who should I bring? Now, that's another statistic. Do you know the percentage of people who that you bring who actually come? 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> An educated man right there, 100%. <clears throat> and so if you ask the Lord between now and Easter, who should I bring? I'm going to promise you that God will tell you. He will. And then it will be up to you as to whether you actually do it or not. Because he wants us to be bringers. He wants us to go and bring. That's, those are things he's put in our hearts to be. He's a sending God and he's a gathering God. That's what he loves to do. So between now and Easter, just, just think about that. That's the, the reason that we're doing two services on Easter is because we, we expect to have twice as many people. Because we believe that you will bring them. All right, so here we are, so we're we're moving towards Easter, and um, so I should back up and say before before people start slipping out the back door, the reason that I said Auburn is because I'm an Auburn fan, and so if I'm going to joke on somebody, I I would prefer to joke on myself. So don't be offended, just come up to me later and say, War Eagle, we're in the Sweet 16. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So we're moving towards Easter. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's, being, he's very intentional, the actions that he's taking, the journey that he's making. It's, nothing is by accident. It's very intentional. And the story that we just read, it's, it's a well-known story. In fact, it's, it's one of those stories of Jesus that's in all four of the Gospels. Now, the interesting thing, I guess maybe even the controversial thing, for some people, there's some disagreement about whether or not we're talking about one story or two different stories because there are some differences as you read through uh, the different gospel accounts. Um, Mark and Matthew give the time of this as two days before Passover. So Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem for the Passover, and a couple of days before Passover, he's in Bethany. Mark and Matthew say it's two days before Passover. John says it's six days before Passover. Luke actually has it even earlier in Jesus' ministry, not around the time of of the crucifixion. Mark and Matthew and John all identify Bethany as the place that it happened. Luke doesn't come right out and say Bethany, but if you read through the story, you can kind of put together that it's it's Bethany. Um, Matthew and Mark say that it's in the home of Simon. Luke says it's in Simon's house. And again, it doesn't say it's Simon's house, but it says that the person who invited him was Simon. So you got to figure, Simon's house. John doesn't say whose house it is. So it's a little bit different. Um, Mark and Matthew and Luke say that there's a woman who pours the perfume. Uh, John actually identifies John is the only one who calls her by name and and John says that it's Mary uh, the sister of Lazarus. Uh, All of them agree that it was a very expensive perfume. Uh, Two of them, Mark and John identify it as nard. Uh, Matthew and Luke just call it perfume. So there's some differences. It, It could be two stories. I will tell you my personal theory is that Jesus was anointed a bunch of times. Wouldn't you? Uh, Anointing uh, wasn't a completely uncommon thing. It was normal to wash the feet of a guest and and if you wanted to take it one step further uh, you could anoint. Typically you would anoint the feet of people you would anoint the head of a king. If you read through the story, some of them say that they poured the perfume on his head, some say on his feet. My guess is they did both. Because the only thing that you could see, the only thing that wasn't covered, head, hands, and feet. So I'm guessing every place that they could anoint, they anointed. Because he's that good. So uh, we're moving again, we're moving towards Passover. Passover is coming. It's a celebration of how God delivered the people of God, the people of Israel, from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he did it through uh, these plagues that were set out, but then the Passover in particular was the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. Now, the religious leaders, they're plotting and they're scheming, and they want to take Jesus out, but they really don't want it to be during the Passover. They really don't, and there there are reasons for that. Passover is, is kind of a nervous time. It's kind of an excited time. It's a little bit different. People are coming from all over. Now, Jerusalem at this time... Historians estimate that the population of Jerusalem at this time was somewhere between 60,000 and 100,000. But during the Passover, it could reach as many as 400,000 people. So we'll say 350, just to be conservative. So you take a town of 60 to 75,000 people maybe, and then all of a sudden on this particular day or during this particular week, it's 350,000 people and... You know They've come from everywhere. They've basically taken over the city. And they're excited. They're a little bit nervous. They're expectant. They're actually looking for a king. They're expectant. They've come year after year after year, and, and every one of them is coming believing that this is the year. This will be the one. So people from everywhere... Are there and they're excitable, and so the the Jews are looking for a king, and the religious leaders are looking for a way to take Jesus out. They don't really want it to happen during the Passover. Why? Because it will probably cause a riot. Well, guess what? It caused a riot. They didn't want it, but it had to happen during the Passover had to. Why? Because it would change forever the meaning of Passover. The death of Jesus changes forever the meaning of Passover. It changes the meaning from God striking down the firstborn of Egypt to the firstborn of God being struck down for the sins of the world. It's a huge shift. Huge turn. And so it was destined, it was determined beforehand by the heart of God that this would happen during the Passover. Now, here they are, they're at dinner, and while they're having dinner, this woman comes in, maybe Mary, maybe maybe someone else, but this woman comes in and she takes this container of expensive perfume, and she breaks it open, and she pours it on Jesus, on his head, and on his feet. And the reaction is, is interesting. Um, they they judge her. They judge her actions, and they ask, why why would she do this? Why waste this perfume? It's expensive. It could have been sold. You could have taken the money that you got and and put it to good use. You could have given to the poor. And Jesus says an interesting thing. Jesus says, leave her alone. Uh, She's done a good thing. And then he says this. You'll always have poor. You can give to the poor any time. That's actually what he says. You can give to the poor any time. Now, some people have taken this passage and turned it into a statement that there will always be poor people. And so, why bother? And that's not what it says. It's not what it says at all. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is you can give alms, which was a very good thing to do. It was very deep in the heart of Judaism to take care of the poor. It's one of their core values, to take care of the poor, to give alms to the poor. And Jesus is saying you can give alms all the time, any time. When can you anoint a body for burial? Anybody got an idea? When can you anoint a body for burial? When it dies. It's the only time. Now here's the ironic thing. When Jesus dies... Guess who anoints his body for burial? No one. No one. She did. She's the only one. And she did it before he died. And Jesus makes this prophetic statement. This woman has done a good thing. She has anointed my body for burial. How many of you know that Jesus was somewhat (laughs) prophetic? He knew. He knew where his friends would be when he died. Gone. Gone. And so scripture tells us that a stranger actually took his body. Put it in the grave. Put it in the tomb. And by the time his followers fought of anointing his body, guess what had happened? He had been raised from the dead. By the time his believers think, oh, wow, you know what? We should go anoint his body. They go, and he's not there anymore. And so Jesus says, this woman got it right. When everybody else missed it, this woman got it right. And because of her love for me, and because of her willingness to go where no one else would go, she's going to be remembered, and her story is going to be told. From now on, wherever the gospel is preached, her story will be told. So one of the interesting things about this story is that it starts with religious leaders plotting the death of Jesus. It ends with one of Jesus' disciples plotting the death of Jesus. And in between, you've got a leper, former leper who's been healed, who is inviting Jesus to his home, who is being identified by the religious leaders as a sinner. And you've got a woman who had no place, no strong place in society during that time. She was kind of considered women were second class. So you've got a leper who has no standing, who's also considered a sinner. You've got a woman who's being pushed to the rear, to the back of the line, and they're the ones that get it. And the religious leaders want to kill him, and even one of his own followers wants to kill him. And the people that you would least expect to get it, get it. So it starts with religious leaders plotting his death, ends with a disciple plotting his death, and in between you have a woman who worships extravagantly. You know, time is kind of a funny thing. Um, we use time to as a reason why we don't do things a lot a lot I, I don't know if you are but you know you hear people say things like i don't have time it's not a good time this this is just a bad time this is a really busy time but what we need to understand about time is that in the heart of God and in the mind of God and in the calendar of God, there is a thing called kairos. It's God's time. The Bible calls it the fullness of time. And in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, in that kairos time, stuff happens. God makes it happen. It happens and you can't stop it. It may not be convenient, you may not be ready for it. You may be too busy for it. It's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. When God wants things to happen, they happen. God has already stamped this event in history. The people in the story are trying to figure out how to make something happen. Ever been there? The people in the story, they're trying to figure out, what can we do? How can we do this? How can we put together a plan that will cause him to die? We want him out of the way. We want him dead. What can we do to make this happen? (laughs) And God already has it stamped in history and guys there's, there's stuff like that all the time how often do we try to make things happen even good things even good things we we have this tendency you know I'm gonna I'm in a shape I'm gonna you know maybe maybe if I move this over you know maybe I don't know maybe maybe we could make things happen maybe we need to stop. Maybe we need to stop trying to make things happen. Maybe we need to trust more. Maybe we need to wait more. Maybe we need to believe more. Maybe we need to pray more. So Jesus loves her devotion and he calls it extravagant. Or or I call it extravagant. And so my question, what is extravagant? You look it up in the dictionary. This is what it says. Lacking restraint in spending money Or using resources. Uh, She was pretty extravagant. (laughs) And then here's a second definition. Exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. Exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. And then here's my favorite definition which comes from the Tom Tanner Unabridged Dictionary. Extravagant? Anything that exceeds what I would have done. More than I am comfortable with is extravagant or excessive. I want to finish today with just two questions. One is, why do they oppose it or criticize it? And the second is, why did she do it? Why do they oppose it and criticize it? <laughs> Secondly, why did she do it? I would say that um, offense happens for one of two reasons. Sometimes we are offended because there is a cry in our heart for justice. And and that's a good thing. You should desire justice. I believe that Jesus was offended when he came into the temple and saw that they were using it for the wrong reason. I believe that he was offended because what they were doing was not just They were taking advantage of people. They were were stealing from worshipers. And that was not just. It was not right. And he was offended by that. And so there is a sense in which offense can be a good thing when you're offended by injustice. But then also, I think there's another kind of offense. That is, we are offended by things that remind us of our own lack. Think about uh, the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes home and he is celebrated, the older son is offended. Why? Because he lacks this intimate relationship with his father that he sees his younger brother having. And it was available to him. It was right there. He could have it. He could have it. But rather than pursue it, he chooses to be offended by the fact that he has more than I have. And sometimes we do that in worship. Sometimes we get offended because people are what we would say excessive in worship when really maybe it's because of our lack. Which brings me to the second question why did she do it? And I would say there are two answers to that as well maybe some people are excessive or extravagant to get attention and and guess whose job it is to call attention to that not yours Not mine. He gets to do that. And he'll do it quite differently than we do. But it happens sometimes. you, you know I've done it. I've done things to draw attention to myself before. am I the only one? And so there's a possibility that that happens. Sometimes people are exuberant or excessive or extravagant because they they, they want attention for whatever reason. Maybe they're lonely. But then also, there is that other side of the coin. People are excessive. They're exuberant. They're extravagant. Because the Lord is worth it. There's nothing. I I can't find words. I'm, I'm up here today just weeping. I can't sing the words. I don't know what to do. I'm out of words. I'm out of actions. I'm out of feelings. I'm out of emotions. There's nothing left. Nothing is good enough. For him. And when there's nothing that I've ever done or said or thought that's good enough, I have to go to some other place. Maybe it's excessive. Maybe it's extravagant. Maybe it's over the top. But does he deserve anything less than that? I don't, I don't think so. So we can hold back. We can. You, you can hold back. To make sure that no one judges you. Or you can say to hell with it. (laughs) Which I just did. (laughs) Y'all don't have to talk to me about saying that. My wife will talk to me later. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to what I'm saying. You can hold back. You can cozy into a safe place and never be judged. Or you can decide that it's time to go for it. And I will promise you that if you decide to go for it, you will be judged. And it will be worth it. It will be so worth it. Now let's pray. Lord, you are worth everything. You are everything. There's nothing that even comes close. So I pray today that we would not hold back. That we would give you all of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to move into a time of ministry. And I know the room is somewhat confusing, but we still have this... Section here, the altar area, and, and here on either side. The only place we don't have is this center. Of the steps are kind of covered, but, but we have open area. The teams will be, and teams, you can go ahead and, and go, and that might help them to kind of see where you are. Um, the teams will start there and go all the way even to the door if they need to. And uh, so we just encourage you, really, guys, I mean, today is a day to do stuff you've never done. And so if you've never come for prayer, this would be a great day for you to do that. Uh, if you come every week, this will be a great day for you to do that.